Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to talk about God's Word and the amazing fuel that God's Word is in our lives. I'm going to talk about it in the context of this chapter, Hebrews 4, that really talks about how God wants us to, wants to make sure that we get to our final destination. You know that if you've got a destination in mind, you need to have enough gas to get you all the way there. And, and that's exactly what, what uh, God is saying to us. Imagine when you were first driving, you had your driver's license. Maybe you didn't have a whole lot of experience yet as, as to how far you could get on a tank of gas. You remember your dad saying, are you sure? Are you sure you have enough gas in the tank to get there? And that's exactly what God is asking us here in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews 4.1, and uh, one other thing I guess is you do have your crosswalk notes. If you didn't bring your Bible along this morning, feel free to just check it out in the crosswalk notes. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And here's where it gets really interesting. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Well, we're starting this new series, and I always get excited about starting a new series because I'm always thinking, wow, I'm going to learn a lot as we delve into this new topic. And uh, this new topic has got an interesting title. We derived it from a Latin word for the word sacrament, sacramentum. But what's really key about it is that subtitle, Fuel for the Journey. I was thinking about that subtitle, Fuel for the Journey, and my mind kind of went back. Now, I'm going to challenge you guys this morning a little bit, give you a little chance uh, to think way back. How many of you think you can guess what the gas price was when I first started to drive? 
How old do you think I am? 52 cents? 20, oh, somebody thinks I'm really old. 85 cents. Okay, 50 cents is too high. 7 cents is too low. So is 25. 32.9. You know what it was? It was 1972 when I was 16 years old, and the gas price was before the, the Arab oil embargo, before the long lines, if some of you can even remember that, at the gas pump. Gas was 37 cents a gallon. Can you imagine that? Now, I think today, if I were to stand up here and offer to you that I, I, I will figure out a way to sell gas to you for $2 a gallon, would you be willing to go somewhere? To buy gas at $2 a gallon? Oh, yeah, I think you would. What if I could f- figure it out, figure out a way to get you gas for $1 a gallon? Would you do that? Oh, yeah. In fact, if I could, if I could work that deal with the gas station, I'm sure we'd have pretty long lines. What if I were to tell you that you could have premium fuel for free? No cost at all. You see that subtitle, Fuel for the Journey? That's really what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. A premium fuel that costs you nothing. Not, of course, fuel for your car, but fuel for your soul. We're going to be talking about why we so need this premium fuel for our soul. And the wonderful thing that it costs us nothing to get it. But this morning, what I really want to focus in is the... if focus on is, is the most important kind of fuel for our soul right here, the Bible, the Word of God. And I want to focus in on the basis, especially of Hebrew four, uh, a basis of Hebrews 4.12, on why this fuel is so amazing in our lives. And it truly is an incredible fuel. I can tell you this is true of me personally. Um, what's been happening at Crosswalk over the last year is so amazing. And it reminds me of things that happen in Africa. You know, God promises in his word that where the word is taught, it will not come back empty. It will achieve what God desires. I don't know if you know this, but here at Crosswalk, attendance on a Sunday morning is more than 50% higher than it was just a year ago. When I was in Africa... God was growing the gospel so rapidly that sometimes we just did not have enough pastors to keep up. And, and those of us that were there would end up trying to supervise together with some help 20 or 25 or, or 30 churches at once because God's promise was just being fulfilled. The word was being taught and it was growing. But you know what happens when you start to get a lot of blessings in your life? Have you ever experienced that before? where you're running around trying to catch, capture and catch all of God's blessings, it can, it can truly, after a while, get kind of exhausting. I, I sometimes feel that way. I know I felt that way many times in Africa trying to, to, um, to supervise that many churches. I'll bet some of you feel that way. That you've gone through some experiences recently in your life that you're just going, wow, God is really blessing my life. I can't believe the wonderful things that he's doing for me. There are great changes happening in my life. 
But to be honest, I'm kind of tired of running around and trying to, to capture all those blessings. Now, admittedly, maybe some of you are feeling the, uh, the opposite. Maybe you're feeling like, I'm meeting one obstacle after another. There's one thing being thrown up in front of my face after another, and I'm tired too. Not because I'm trying to catch blessings, but because I'm trying to constantly figure out ways around my problems. Is God really there? Does he care about what's going on in my life? I guess it really doesn't matter why we feel that we're running on fumes. But if you are running on fumes, it's important to know where can you get fuel to gas back up. And what kind of fuel are you going to put in your tank? And that's why I really want to focus in this morning on a couple of the things that it says here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I want to go back especially to that verse. Notice what it says. For the word of God is living and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's the thing. God clearly says, and and if you back up into this chapter, he clearly says, like any dad, I want to make sure you reach the end of your journey in life. And I mean the end of the big capital J journey, I want you to enter that rest, meaning heaven. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. You know, if you're feeling tired right now, if you're exhausted because you've just been encountering one obstacle after another in your life, and you're going, God, I don't know if I have energy, emotionally, physically, or spiritually, to scale one more wall. I'm running on fumes. If you're feeling that way, or if you're feeling a little bit like me, wow, God, you're blessing me, but I'm getting buried. I'm tired. You've got to know where to gas back up. And and the key thing is, God is saying it matters to him that you reach the end of the journey, what he calls the rest here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It matters to God that you and I get to heaven. Now, here's the second thing, though. While he's constantly asking us this question, do you have enough gas in the tank, like any good dad would do? God also indicates in the Bible that there's a problem with getting fuel back up. You know what that problem is? Spiritually, there's a lock on the gas tank. Spiritually, something has to come along to unlock that cap so that we can get refueled by the Word of God. Let's talk about some of the things that do lock God's Word out of our lives sometimes. Sometimes we get distracted. And we become disconnected from God because... We're thinking about other things that maybe don't lead to us reaching the end destination. We might be thinking about a career. We might be thinking about finishing school. We might be thinking about what's in our bank account or whether we can refinance our house or buy a new house. There's so many things in life that can just simply disconnect us from God because they distract us. 
and that locks the gas cap. Another thing that can happen is we become discouraged when those roadblocks keep coming, when life gets tough. When we're constantly trying to overcome obstacles, we go, oh, God, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I'm so disheartened. I'm so discouraged. That can lock the gas cap. A final thing that can happen is we become disenchanted. Maybe we've heard God's word our whole lives. And something comes along in our life and just totally throws us for a loop. Maybe it's something really tragic that's happened in our lives. And we go, really? Does God really care? Why would he allow something like that to happen to me? And we start to get disenchanted with God. Maybe we've grown up with God's word. We go to college. We get into university. We meet a professor that is an amazing lecturer. And all of a sudden he says, how can you believe that Christianity garbage? Do you realize that there is no physical proof for what you're basing your life on? You're going to try and tell me there's a God that no one can see who supposedly loves you, yet you can look at your own life and see all the stuff that's happening to you? Why are you clinging to that? Get real, this professor will say. You become disenchanted and disconnected from God that way. That locks the gas cap. I'll tell you, one of the things that's most important for us to hear this morning is the very first descriptor for God's word. The word of God is living. In the original, it actually puts that word living right up front in the sentence to emphasize it. It literally says, living is the word of God. To emphasize this point. You know why that's so important? Because when we become disconnected from God, whether it's disenchantment, discouragement, or anything else, our, heart, our hearts get hardened eventually. Rock hard. And to know that something is living is important. Well, let me illustrate it for you, why it's important. That's a better way to tell you. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend. And he was going through a stretch in his life where he was doubting God a little bit. Not quite sure about the whole God thing. And he, was, um, he had gotten a job working for an airline. And this friend of mine said, you know, one day, working for the airline, I, I, I walked out onto this vast expanse of runway. Concrete that's thick because it has to bear the weight of airplanes with huge amounts of fuel. Thick, thick, hard concrete. And I walked out, and there in the middle of this vast expanse of concrete was a flower growing up out of the cement. And, he, and it, something just clicked in his mind in that moment. And he said, holy cow, how does something living grow out of concrete? I'm sure there was a small crack but isn't it amazing? Have you ever seen that? I remember on my honeymoon going hiking with my wife and there was this sheer rock face and out of it was growing a pine tree. And I'm going, how in the world? 
But that's what living things can do. They can take root in the hardest of rock and sprout roots and dig into the smallest crack and find light and moisture where you'd think that's just impossible. That's what living things do, and that's what God's word does. Let me share something very personal with you guys. I have five kids. One of my own sons, my middle son, could be described as a young man who right now is disenchanted with God. He met the proverbial university professor who told him, you know, why are you believing this stuff? Where's the proof? And right now, I don't know where he is spiritually, really. I have huge doubts about whether he is even a Christ follower today. Can you imagine what that does to a dad? Some of you are parents who want with your whole heart to see your children follow the Lord and walk with Christ. And it rips your heart out when your child is not walking with Christ. But you know what is the hope? God's word is alive. And if there is just even the tiniest of cracks in my son's heart, if there is just somehow some little piece of light shining in for just a little bit, something still moist in there, I know what God's word will do because it is alive. And it, it has this amazing ability to, to grow roots down into the smallest of spaces that could be left for God. And I never give up because I know that God's word is alive. You, I would imagine, have friends. Maybe you are that person yourself saying, I don't know if I can believe this stuff. And all I'm saying to you today is, if your friend even has just the tiniest of cracks, take hope that God's word is alive. If you will allow just the smallest of cracks to remain in your heart, God's word is alive. It can cause that faith that you once had to bloom and blossom again. And you can have this amazing walk with God because God's word is alive. Take a look at what, what it says, for example, in 1 Peter 1.23. I, I put this in your crosswalk notes. This is how badly your heavenly father wants to make sure you get to the final destination of heaven. He says, he's given us the living and enduring word of God. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I love that. Not just living, but enduring. God's word is relentless. And it will keep coming at you and coming at you because God, your heavenly father, is relentless. So that's our first point this morning. I hope you'll have confidence in this premium fuel because God's word penetrates hearts. It's alive. Here's how I can kind of sometimes tell if God's word is beginning to work on someone's heart. I love to watch God's word work in a person who's coming from not being a Christ follower and then developing a faith that's so much fun to watch. And one of the things that I notice that happens when God's word, this living word is at work, is that people become risk takers more and more. You remember uh, having small children and, uh, and, you, and your kids were in that toddler stage where they're cruising 
you know what cruising is, right? Where they're walking around the coffee table, but they always have to have a hand on something solid and tangible. And then they grow and they get a little bit more adventurous and maybe they'll take one step between the coffee table and over to the couch and then kind of half fall on the couch. And then they grow up and they get a little bit more adventurous than that and pretty soon they're taking a step or two away from that coffee table out into the middle of the living room and then they plop down on their bottom. And then quickly, too quickly really for most of us, all of a sudden one day you look and there they are. They're a little shaky, you know, but they're walking in the middle of the living room, not needing their hands on anything tangible. They're walking. And that's how it is for us as Christians, too. Sometimes we still need to grab hold of something solid and tangible, but a growing, mature Christian loves the risk-taking, loves the adventure, is stepping out constantly because he knows he has God's word to step out on. It's, it's granted, it's not tangible. It's not like a coffee table or a couch. But when you put your trust and hope in God's promises, and you say, these are real, these promises. In fact, Jesus says God's promises in the word are more real. More real than the most tangible thing you could imagine. You know what Jesus said, don't you? Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Spiritually, the most tangible thing you could ever imagine is walking on the words and promises of God, walking on the Bible. And that's what I love. I love to see a Christian growing and developing in their faith and going, let's do it, man. I know others would say this is dumb and foolish to do X, Y, or Z, but I'm going to do it because I trust that God is going to come through on his promises to me. In Old Testament times, God's people sometimes failed to walk that walk of faith. You know what God called it? He flat out calls it disobedience. In fact, if you look in the very chapter we're studying this morning, Hebrews 4, verse 6. If you want to look at it in your crosswalk notes, look at it with me. It says, it still remains that some will enter that rest meaning heaven, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in. Now, that's a reference to the promised land because of their disobedience. They didn't get to go into the promised land of Canaan because they failed to trust God, take risks, go on adventures, and go into the promised land. Let me give you a specific example. That journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan was supposed to be short. A few weeks, a few months at most. When they were very close to entering the land of Canaan after they came out of Egypt, God told them, send an advanced team in. Send some spies in. Let them check out the land, see what they've got coming, and they'll come back and let you know how to better plan for going into the land of Canaan. Well, these guys went out. They found amazing things. They brought back some of the fruits that they found in the land. But... Numbers, chapters 14, 15, 16, along in there, if you read it at home, you'll see that they also brought back fear. They brought back fear because when they went out to spy out the land, they met these big, bad, giant dudes that were called Nephilim. 
they were actually so big and bad that they had this name that was kind of world-renowned. These Nephilim were known to be very tough, bad guys. And so when the spies came back and Moses said, are we ready to go in? Look at that fruit you brought. And we have God's promises. He's promised to take us in. Let's go. These guys, or, or ten of them, said, I don't know. The Nephilim. I think they're going to kick our butts. I don't think we should go in. And so they spread that fear. And in the end, they didn't end up going in for another 40 years because God got angry with them for their disobedience, their refusal to trust his words and promises. They failed to go on the adventure. Now let me ask you, are you being disobedient in the sense that you're refusing to walk on the promises of God? You're missing out on this amazing adventure. Do you, do you believe it when God says things like this to you? Now, God's not telling you anymore, move to this country or that country. He did that with the Old Testament people. But what we have nowadays is better. Listen to this promise. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Is that not an amazing promise? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Pull the trigger. Make a decision. Trust that in all things, God works for the good of those whom he has called. Listen to this promise. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Do you have Nephilim in your life? Maybe it's not a person. But what's your giant issue that you're facing that's making you afraid to go out on the adventure and change your life for the better? What's your Nephilim? God's promise is this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know what those spies should have done? They shouldn't have been spreading their fear. They should have said, let's get down on our knees. We're anxious about this. We're worried. We're concerned. It's okay to be real about that. But instead of saying, let's run away, they should have said, let's get down. Let's ask God to deal with these Nephilim for us. And you know what would have happened? He would have done it. And he proves it 40 years later. Here's one last promise. If sin or guilt or shame is holding you back in your life, because maybe you're saying to yourself, I know God says he cares about people, but what about me? Does he really care about me? I know all the stuff I've done in my life. I know the wrongs. I know the, the people that I've hurt. I know that I've fallen far, far short of where God would want me to be. And I feel guilty and ashamed. And also, that makes me think, will God really be with me? If I take that next step, will he really be there? Does he really love me enough to forgive all that stuff? Well, then listen to this promise. 1 John 1, 9, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What's your Nephilim sin issue? The one that you've struggled to beat. The one that you've repeated again and again and again. You know what God says? Give it to me. I forgive it and I will give you strength in due time to beat it. I will purify you from all unrighteousness. In fact, in one sense, he already has by the blood of Christ. Listen to what Jeremiah says about God's word and those promises that we can take an adventure on, that we can take risks on. Jeremiah says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Here's the thing that we all need to remember. God's word and God's promises are active. They are going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And those active promises of God should make us active. To step out on an adventure, to take risks and to say, you know what? It's a little scary. But I'm going to walk on the words and promises of God. God's word is active and I'm going to be active in my faith too. I'm not only going to listen, I'm going to obey. George Philippe of Meridian, Ohio, one day was about to go to bed. And his wife heard something funny out in their yard, farmyard actually. And she went and peeked out the bedroom window and she gasped. She could see men going in and out of their barn, stealing stuff. True story. So George says, we better call the police. He calls the police, 911. He dials up. The dispatcher answers. And she says, sir, I am so sorry, but right now we just don't have enough police to cover everything that's going on. Just lock all your doors. You're going to be safe. There's nobody in the house, is there? George said, no, I can't hear anybody in the house. She says, we'll get somebody there as soon as we possibly can, but it might, might be 45 minutes or an hour. We just don't have enough resources to cover everything that's going on. So George put the phone down, waited about 30 seconds, picked the phone back up again, and dialed 911. He said, I don't know how, you, how to tell you this, but I think we might need the police sooner. Um, those people that I just called you about, I'm the same guy. I just went down and shot and killed them. And the dispatcher said, okay, sir. And within, true story, five minutes, there were six squad cars in their front yard, a helicopter hovering overhead, and there were all kinds of resources and assets on site. Now, I, I don't blame the police or anybody else. Obviously, they always have to prioritize and stuff. I love what George answered when the policeman asked him the obvious question. You know what the obvious question was? I thought you said you shot and killed somebody here. You know what George said? Well, I thought you said you didn't have any resources to bring to this crime scene. You know some people that can sometimes just cut to the chase, get to the heart of the matter and get rid of all the fluff and cut the crap. 
Sometimes you know people like that. And that's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews says about God's word. He says, it's sharp. And it cuts to the chase. It gets to the heart of the matter right away. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 again. Because we've talked about the first two points. We've talked about how God's word is living and it's active. And that's what makes it such powerful fuel for our lives. But he goes on and he says this. For the word of God is living and active. And then he says, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Verse 13 goes on to say, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know what God's word is? And why it has such deeply penetrating power into our hearts? It's God's scalpel. It is sharp, and it will cut right down into what's really happening in our lives, what's really happening in our minds and our hearts. And I got to be very upfront with you on this. Some of us are going to find that scary. Some of us don't want to hear that there's an instrument that God has to cut out all the fluff and all the crap. It's scary to think that God might know everything about us. Just as it says, nothing in all creation is is hidden from his sight. Because you know what? In our life, you know what we like to do? This is what we can get away with with people. We can rationalize our stuff. We might be caught up in a sin, and we can say, I I know. I know. God doesn't like it. But... I think God understands because this is going on in my life and that's going on in my life. And, okay, I suppose you could say it's sin, but God understands because I have reasons. You know, that's what rationalization is, isn't it? I have reasons for committing this sin. Sometimes we might not rationalize. Sometimes we might minimize. We might say something like, yep, yep. Haven't been following the commandments. Haven't been obeying this one and that one. I'm definitely caught up. But you know what? On balance, I'm still a pretty good guy. Pretty good gal. I'm not as bad as, certainly, God. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. And and what I'm doing, I'm I'm not a murderer. I haven't embezzled a million dollars. What I'm doing is minimal compared to what I could be doing. You know what Jesus did, don't you? You think you're not an adulterer? Look, I'm telling you straight up, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, in God's eyes, you are an adulterer. Don't minimize. You think you're not a murderer? Even once you've called someone a fool? In God's eyes. You just murdered that person. Even if you never said something, but you were just angry with that person and you hated him for just a little while and no word passed between your lips, but in your heart, there it was, that hatred and bitterness building up. You are a murderer. 
How do you minimize when Jesus Christ says stuff like that? You see, God's standard is perfection. Perfection not only in actions and words, but even in thoughts. And none of us lives up to that. And when God's scalpel comes down into our hearts and does this, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That can get a little tough at times, hearing God's law and being confronted and being shown that we're guilty. But there's a wonderful another side to it, isn't it? And that's that God's scalpel cuts two ways. Because the other wonderful side is that it also penetrates into our hearts with the gospel. The good news that says, yeah, yeah, you're guilty. But you know what? That's exactly why Jesus died for you. That's exactly why he went to the cross to take all those sins and guilt and all that shame on himself and take it all away from you. And God's love and God's powerful word, it penetrates because it's sharp. It penetrates even tombs. You want evidence of it? We celebrate it every Easter. God's love for his own son and his word that called his son up out of the tomb after three days and raised him to life is our hope. The knowledge that God raised his son from the dead is the very reason why we say, wow, I'm guilty? Yeah, once I was, but not anymore because God's son died and was raised to life again for my sin. And one day, God's love and God's word is going to penetrate my grave. And he's going to say, come to me and live with me for eternity. What a wonderful and awesome day that's going to be when God's sharp word, God's sharp scalpel comes to us and says, I love you. Come and be with me forever in my son, Jesus Christ. All that, not for $3 a gallon, not for $2 a gallon, not for $1 a gallon, not even for $0.37 a gallon. All this awesome fuel for your soul, a word of God that is sharp, as we just talked about, that penetrates because it's God's awesome scalpel. God's God's word that that penetrates because it's just an awesome and powerful word of God for you and for me. That's there for free. Can I just encourage you this morning? Pick this up. Go to the gas station. Get refueled. It's not going to cost you anything to get to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit wants to work on your heart. And the Holy Spirit is on a mission from God the Father to make sure you reach the final destination. Remember what it said in verse 1? Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we do not want to fall short of the final goal, and we thank you that you've provided the whole answer to get us there. You provided your son, Jesus Christ, to bring the healing that we needed for our sin-starved hearts. And Lord, you provided your Holy Spirit in the, in the word of God to call us to faith, to invite us to Jesus Christ so that we can know him. Lord, by nature, we're blind. By nature, we're not even running on fumes. By nature, we're dead in the water. But you gave us this awesome fuel of your word, and you've said, it's free. Take it. Lord, help us to get fueled up this week and every week so that we can understand that, that we matter to you and our final destination matters to you. And help us keep on digging deeper into this fuel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.